0: Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 finals. all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it.
1: TNCs apply. Came here You're listening to the Monday Metrospective with Jason Bonnington on S E M Track.
2: That's all very correct. It is Monday retrospective, as we do every Monday here on Trot's Live from 11 to 1. But it's a bit more important than that. This is the third annual Breeders' Week beginning right three, two, one. Now, go. Ready to roll. Breeders' Week starts here and ends uh, during the Friday form panel, in fact, at the end of it at noon. And our first guest, as should be the case, we go straight to the top. The president of Harness Breeders Victoria joins us, Nick Hooper. How are you, Nick?
3: Very well, Jason. Thanks for having us and thanks for running Breeders Week again.
2: It's pretty uh, it's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, we went through the pandemic and we got a couple out of the way, but it now feels like um, it's a real thing, isn't it? It's an annual event that we have this week, Breeders Week, and um, I think it's been exceptionally well received the last couple of years. And what we need to do, obviously, is, is get better as we go along. And that's what we're going to try and do here because... I reckon even in year one, there were a lot of texts coming in, people wanting to know more. And I guess our job throughout the course of the week largely is to give people who've got an interest an opportunity to learn as much as they possibly can. Now, it's like punting. It's like every consumer um, situation. You're not going to transition everyone into breeding horses because it ain't an easy game. But if we can get a few interested, maybe to take a share in breeding, maybe to get involved themselves, I think our, uh, our brief has been fulfilled.
3: Uh, very much so. It's also about informing our current breeders. It's uh, bringing previous breeders who want to rekindle their interest and get back involved. But yes, new people who want to get in. Um, hopefully we can help them out, uh, direct them in the right um, uh, to the right areas, but also inspire them with some really interesting stories that you've got lined up through the week.
2: Well, today, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a heads up on today. So about 11.30, we're going to interview Gary Withers, who is the one of the breeders and one of the owners of Hurricane Hustler, who was a dominant winner. So that's going to be a nice little segue linking with Metrospective. And really, I didn't know a lot about Gary, but I had a chat with his uh, his partner in in life and crime, when a little bit earlier on. And they are full-blown sickos, like 20-, 30-year um, breeders. they stood Brayside Seal Star. This also won on Saturday night, we Needy. This might be the only we Needy racing in Victoria. And if not the only one, it's up in European... New South Wales, then um, certainly the best you would imagine. But they're the kind of stories throughout the course of the weekend. And one of the challenges, Nick, is after the first couple of years, finding a few new angles. We're going to go back to the well uh, on a couple of occasions, talk to Kath McIntosh later in the week, not only as a uh, as a key constituent for Harness breeders Victoria, but also from a veterinary perspective. But we're going to hear a lot of new voices, and I think that's really critical that we give people different angles around the breeding game and, like like you say, the people who want to get in, the people who are already involved. Um, But people like Stephen Bell later in the week, we'll talk to Clayton Tonkin about how he picks out horses in terms of uh, breeding or even at the sales, but trying to give people a 360 perspective on what the breeding game's all about.
3: Yeah, very much so. I think you've uh, also got Greg Gengel, who's the manager from Wagga. He's uh, a Canadian living here in Australia. He can give a great comparison with his vision into the breeding industry, uh, in the United States and Canada and here, um, John Peck, who is part of the classic families, um, uh, team classic families. If people haven't um, found it is a wonderful, uh, online resource, um, which, uh, you'll talk to him about. So wonderful information there. So it really is a good lineup yourselves and Jess Tubbs, who's on our committee and, uh, helps with the production of, um, Uh, this lineup have done a great job and hopefully people will find it entertaining and informative.
2: Talk to us about the Stallion Guide, first of all. I I want to get into a a couple of other quick subjects, but uh, the Stallion Guide, please, Nick.
3: Yep, Stallion Guide, 27th edition. The Bible is is out. It's been out online via our website, hbv.org.au. You've got the interactive online version there, but the hard copies are winging their way into breeders' letterboxes as we speak. Um, I'm eyeballing a very nice copy here with a lovely little foal staring at me off the front cover. Um, Lots of stallions being um, uh, covered in there, some interesting articles for people to read, Um, some wonderful advertisers who continue to support us. Um, Certainly um, uh, another bumper edition.
2: So hbv.org.au, what else can we find on the website? I want to talk about an email that people can access this year for the first time in the three-year run of Breeders' Week, but hbv.org.au, that's the – if the Stallion Guide's the Bible, then this is the, um, the reference point to the Bible, I guess, hbv.org.au, the website.
3: That's it. There's a hell of a lot there in terms of information for uh, new and existing breeders. Um, there's uh, uh, very easy to navigate and uh, offers a lot of information one thing that we'd also done in the last couple of years was a thing called breed to succeed which were via Campbell's comments was um, uh, Facebook and video based if you find that out via the starting out tab uh, you get access to a wide range of videos with a whole lot of um, uh, information on all sorts of um, breeding information, whether it be um, at some one end the technical stuff, at others, others it's the stories of various breeders and what they've done and also some of the, um, uh, uh, the information that you can um, uh, search up to help you in your breeding journey. So lots of info there, um, very informative, uh, helps you to um, uh, find your way. Uh, Breeder resources is another one via the breeding business tab. Lots of info there to point people in the right direction.
2: Uh, and one of the uh, one of the great prolific researchers on uh, on breeding, the late Ian Daff. There's going to be uh, a new Ian Daff a Memorial Award winner, and I think you're taking um, you're taking nominations from the public for this.
3: Yeah, the Ian Daff Memorial Award is uh, certainly a well sought after award, and yes, uh, we're looking for uh, nominations from the public for our members who have made an important contribution to the Victorian breeding industry. Uh, Nominations are open and once again, details for how to submit are on our website. So if you know of someone who's made a great contribution to breeding over the long term, then uh, please uh, nominate them because we'd like to recognize uh, those, especially some of the unsung heroes who uh, have put in the hard yards over a long period of time.
2: Yeah, there's a lot going on there. There's a, it's a little bit like the uh, the gordon North medal, but for breeding where uh, there's a number of different factors taken into account. Now, there's always challenges. That's the nature of racing in totality, but certainly in breeding. But you've got an exceptional committee and have sort of had a relatively stable, incredibly strong committee for a fair wallet Harness Breeders Victoria. Talk to us very quickly before um, I let you go, Nick, about... Exactly where we're at in terms of the positivity the enthusiasm around breeding in the industry at the moment
3: uh obviously this time of year the uh, uh, the sun comes out a little the uh what is it? The spring is sprung the grass is whizz riz I wonder where the flowers is and all of that sort of <laughs> pam, that Pam airs am I quoting anyway we've hit spring um. Uh, we've hit spring. Uh, there's always the optimism. I was at Kat McIntosh's Lower Long Farms yesterday for her um, uh, uh, stallion parade, which uh, had a crowd of 150 or 200 there. That was fantastic. Uh, during the week, I got uh, Brett Coffey's uh, Alabar Farms. Um, a glossy publication came in the mail. I think everyone gets a bit excited about uh, the breeding season. Uh, mares are starting to fall. I've got one due to foal in about two or three weeks, so there's great excitement around and um, great opportunity for people to get involved. If you've got your mare ready to foal, if not, if she's empty, um, have a good look at the guide, have a good look at the online options, get yourself involved because it's so important that we uh, breed the next generation of champions in the season to come.
2: You're listening to the president of Harness Breeders, Victoria, Nick Cooper. At the start of Breeders Week, we're launching it right here, right now on SEN Track. And I mentioned earlier, I, I hope you've got it in front of you there, Nick. Um, we've got a, a, an email this year. Uh, again, Jess Tubbs, great work from her. Um, set it up with team, the entire team there at HPV. So that all these people over the last couple of years, we've done what we can to try and, uh, re, I, I guess, recircuit them to where they needed to go to learn more about breeding. But this year we've actually got, um, we've actually got an email they can go to. Have you got that handy? Yep,
3: yeah, it's. We've tried to keep this simple. I know that your uh, switchboard got plenty of calls over the last couple of years. We do have our own email, of course, but for this week we've set up breedersweek at Gmail dot com simple easy for everyone to remember breedersweek at gmail.com that's breedersweek one word Um, if you've got any questions at all please fire off an email we'll have that uh, looked after by uh, our crew and um, uh, over the next week so if you've got any questions at all fire them through and we will do our best to help you out direct you where you need to go.
2: We will repeat that ad nauseum, ad infinitum throughout the course of the week, that email address. Nick, thanks for joining us, mate, and sit back, relax and enjoy the next five days, because we're going to have some fun.
3: Yeah, well done. I really appreciate uh, SEM Track being involved again, and uh, the uh, Trots Life team. And, uh, Enjoy it. I can't wait. It's going to be really good.
2: There's Nick Hoover. He's the president of Harness Breeders Victoria. This is the start of Breeders Week. For now, we take a break, find out what's happening with our sponsors. And when we come back, Steve Cleve to join me as we go through the Metrospective review of the winners, the racing and the headline acts from Saturday night at Tabcourt Park Mountain.
4: Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective
1: on SEN Track. Text us on oh four double nine seven three six seven
2: three six. Welcome back to Trot's Life. Breeders' Week has begun. But so too has retrospective uh, right about now because Steve Gleaves about to join me. How are you, Steve? I'm good, on Yourself? Very well. This is an exciting week, and it's pretty amazing that uh, yeah. It, well, I'm getting older. We're all getting older, aren't we? But it's the third year of Breeders' Week, which uh, staggers me in a way because it feels like we uh, we started this journey yesterday. Now tell me because I really I should know this, Steve, but I don't. Breeding for you has it been a has it been a significant part of your life? What do you like? let other people deal with it, and then um, go and get them from the sales?
0: No, no, we've uh, bred a few for the last few years. We've bred uh, Trey Cool and Mirakuru, and uh, we've got two mares, Mirakuru's mum's foaling in about a month's time, and Jessie's girl, she's already had one foal, she's about to drop another one a little bit later on this year.
2: It's a a pretty special thing, isn't it? I mean, you've done pretty well to start with. Mirakuru, we know, has got an enormous amount of ability, and... Cool as well, to be honest, but Mirakuru in particular. But this is, you know, breeding is the game. It's it's a really hard thing to get involved with, and you need to set yourself or, or realize there could be potential heartbreak around the corner, and it's not a cheap game either. But if you do get success down the track, and this is how people get addicted to it, then you get to see that horse from the very start of its career. And if you opt to keep it, then it's like a child really, isn't it?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. We had Nick Hooper and Brett Coffey join us on Trots Vision on Saturday night, and and we discussed exactly that. Like, I'm a little bit lucky because I get to breed, um, actually help the mare foal Mirakuru down. You know, we break him in. We got him to the races. You get to win with him. So the, the enjoyment you get out of doing everything with a horse from day dot is so much bigger than what you get just for maybe training for someone else or driving for someone else. It's just, it's a totally different feeling.
2: And there's a commercial aspect as well. Oh, to be honest, we won't be covering that off today because we're going to uh, talk with Gary with us a little bit later on when we're looking at race 3-1 by Hurricane Hustler. Gary, uh, Brett and part owns that particular um, stallion or uh, entire, but he is, um, from the conversation that I've had, I don't think somebody who ever lets go of anything. But later down the track, as we go through the course of Breeders' Week, we will talk about the commercial aspect uh, or perspective when it comes to breeding as well. Let's get stuck into Metrospective, Steve. Race one. Um, look, apart from probably Major Delico getting across Arden Roanoke at the start or Arden Roanoke at the start, everything here went to plan until Box of Chocolates clearly had a significant issue.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree there, Bonnie. Uh, yeah, he got pushed out off the gate, uh, Major Delico, and, and found the front quite easily, really, and then handed up to a box of chocolates, which you'd assume would be the perfect pos- position to be in. But as you just mentioned, going down the back straight, box of chocolates just uh, hit a brick wall and, and really sort of interrupted a few of those runners back on the pegs, dragging them back and causing a little bit of a mess. But, um, look, hats off to the winner, Hugo Rocks. He's been knocking on the door for a while, Honestly, I thought this was a 10 out of 10 drive by Herb. He, uh, he had his main danger coming into the home straight hard on his back. And he was just getting enough out of that horse to not let the favourite, like let his danger off his back, but to also keep all the rest at bay. And then with about 50 to run, he opened it up and he won quite convincingly.
2: And it was a nice little um, example of uh, a dropping grey because Hugo Rocks had finished second to catch away from him at previous start yep. and gone through that Vic Brett Championship Series. So um, going into the race, I thought if the race was run upside down that he was a likely winner but was keen on Box of Chocolates. When that all went south, uh, Box of Chocolates was the one to be, but I couldn't agree with you more. It was just one of those situations where he needed to provide a balancing act, didn't he? If, if, if the love bug goes too early or he makes a mistake or he gets nervous and panics and and um, tries to drill the leader, then you're in trouble. But he was just able to keep – it was like he, – he, and you would have been in the situation with horses before where you've almost got to convince the horse that they're travelling maybe better than they are. Yep, that's uh, dead right
0: there. Sometimes you just got to keep the bit in their mouth and make them feel really big and strong. And uh, that came about with Aussie Battler later on in the, the claimer as well when we were talking to Jack. You know, if you can convince them that they're going better than they are, then sometimes they do just find that extra little bit.
2: Uh, anything else to take from the race? I thought, weirdly, finished down the track, but Major Delico was one of the horses we've already mentioned got caught up in uh, a very difficult situation. Arden Roanoke had no luck. <laughs> the only thing I will say about Arden Roanoke is he did get out the last 30, 40 metres and probably didn't burst, but um, both of them were luckless. Magic Mike was good. Hayden Bromack was good. Even Radio I thought was pretty good. It was one of those races where... I think most of them went well. Box of chocolates you have to forgive. And probably the other couple that might have seemed to go slightly poorly, our Uncle Jim and Bud Sidewinder, probably in the same boat, I reckon, Steve.
0: Yeah, look, honestly, I think after the top three or maybe four, I'd just put a line through the rest of them and just totally forget that race ever happened and uh, start again next week.
2: What do we do with race two? Do we, do we remember or forget? Now, I'm, yeah. it was one of those nights where I reckon I got um, – uh, half the observations, right and half the observations wrong. But one that I did make during the week on a number of occasions was that I was mildly worried about Captain Belisario, who I've got a massive opinion of, uh, in front. We know how effective he is from behind. He showed that at his previous start, first up from a uh, short let-up coming from last and just swamping his rivals with uh, with a devastating turn of speed. But he's now been beaten, I think, Three times in front, he was beaten by Sahara Sirocco at the Trolls in front, and he pulled ferociously hard. So it's a bit of a weird one. Before we get to the winner, Cobb, what did you make of Captain Belisario? Because he's actually run a middle trip here in 55, which is excellent going, pulling hard all the way. Yet I feel like there's quite a bit of evidence now that he's a significantly superior horse from off the pace. Yeah, no, look, I don't think his run was that bad. As you say, they broke 55 for the mile.
0: They've gone seven seven and 27.3 for the last two quarters. So I don't know. You could really run much quicker than that. Last week, he was certainly brilliant from behind. Um, you know, Cobbett just had the, the gun run on him and and just out sprinted him to the finish. And I think if he learns to relax and, and learns to become a proper racehorse, and I think he'll be okay out in front. I think if he had to relax and come back to Jack a bit more, because the first quarter was 30.2 and then 29.7. So they were rolling the whole way. He never really got to sit him up, catch his breath, and then let him rip. So I'm quite forgiving of that run.
2: Yeah. I, I, look, as you say, I think it's a really good run. When you look at the time that, that he ran and the fact that he pulled all the way, but pound for pound, um, is Cobra a better horse than Captain Belisario? I think we'd struggle no. I think we struggle to make that argument. So that's why I'm probably I'm looking at the run from Captain Bellisari. I'm certainly not giving it a cross, but um more than I feel at this stage of his career when possible. Now I had him in front, he had to be in front under the circumstances. But he's going to be a more effective horse from off the speed. Having said that, Cobber has probably garnered a little bit of a reputation for not being the um Oh, it's genuine—the right word. Out in front, particularly a horse that's probably gotten to kill his heel, but to follow the speed that he did here, I didn't know whether I was watching Cobber or Tuppence from the Jeff Webster <laughs> barn here. This was a, its always a good win to be able to go one even if you're trailing the speed all the way. I reckon, Steve. No,
0: absolutely, and but I mean. Ash's head, hats off to the second horse to keep going too because it took him all the way to the 50-metre line to get him. So he got a beautiful run down into the sprint lane and and because they were running time, he was already at high speed to get there. It wasn't like they sat up and then tried to quickly sprint with him. So he certainly had every chance and probably should have been winning too with the run that he had.
2: Uh, in terms of other runs, in the right, oh, I thought pulled the other leg. When you're talking about 54-8, right, this is a horse who had won his first two Australian starts and yep, tick tick. That all that'll look very good. But this was, in my opinion, another level middle trip, fifty four eight, parked out, never gives in, only beaten eight point four. I thought he was the run of the race, personally. Arg's gotten home okay, gets a little bit more confidence after maybe losing little sliding home along the pegs. Um and then down the track, Aussie Playboy sort of made a run and then and then hit a wall and I'm off and gone just becoming a very, very difficult horse to follow. Captain Confetti sort of riding a roller coaster as well. But pull the other leg, I thought, was uh, excellent. Even though he's missed the podium, I think he's gone great guns. Yep, can't
0: agree. I can't argue with you there on any of those points. Pull the other leg, like you said, just third up in Oz, having to sit park in that sort of time. That's a, a pretty good run, and you just keep following from here on in.
2: What did you? What are we making right now of Oz like I'm off and gone? It just seems like there's... A little bit of a good run, then a poor run, then a good run, then a poor run. And the lack of technical speed obviously makes her life very hard.
0: Extremely hard. And I think when it comes to betting with her, I'm I'm sticking by her name. I am off and gone.
2: <laughs> and Captain Confetti, the only thing I, I think about Captain Confetti, like if you go through his runs, it's weird because uh, the love bug said that Hugo Rocks is a real, what I call, pegline warrior. You know, they, they just feel a lot better when they're racing up on the inside. Well, he was a little bit more versatile. Feels to me Captain Confetti almost exclusively goes his best races when he's done nothing and he's just sliding the pegs and gets out late. Yeah,
0: exactly. His last win was at Melton back in April uh, 21, where he sat leaders back and won. And since then, he's he's sort of teased a couple of times. He's had a third and a second Uh, The only times that he's been in the top three out of about his last 18 starts. But every time he runs that third and second, you think, yep, he's close. But then he goes off again. So he's a bit confusing at the moment. Um, Quite often with the Douglas horses, they, they tend to just race out of form and then race back into form. So I think they'll just keep rolling him around and hopefully he runs back into some form.
2: All right, we're down two races here in the retrospective uh, review of events at Tabcorp Park Mountain on Saturday night. When we come back, we'll talk about the winner of Race 3, Hurricane Hustler. But before Steve and I get launched into that, we're going to have a chat with Gary with us. Breeders Week here to talk about um, why he went to We Needy uh, up at Irrawi, how long he's been in the game. It's a, it's a fantastic story. So stick with us. News now, then back with Gary with us. The SEN app is. Welcome back to the Monday
1: Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736
2: 736. Welcome back. Trot's Life Breeders Week, third annual edition, and uh, we've started off talking to HBV President Nick Cooper about the week ahead Um, We're currently two races down in retrospective. We're about to talk about the third race, and one man who's going to be pretty happy to hear it is Gary Withers, who's the breeder and part owner of Hurricane Hustler. How are you, Gary? Jason, good. Good, thanks. Uh, Thanks for having me. No, very happy to to have a chat, mate. And to be honest, though, you've got got something to live up to because uh, I had a chat earlier with your partner in life and crime, and if you um, can deliver as much information as she did, uh, you'll have done an extremely... An extremely good job. You must have been a happy man on Saturday night. This was a very dominant win.
4: No, he went really well. Everyone was really pleased with him and sort of Craig was wrapped and Jody had good reports. It was just a good night all around.
2: Now, I mentioned earlier, we're doing Breeders Weekend. Uh, I, I didn't know your, your history, but you're a full-blown sicko for breeding, aren't you? I mean, you've been, you've been doing it for a very, very long time. And uh, t- tell us where it all started because it didn't start yesterday. No, it
4: started when I was a kid. Um, I, I lost my father early in life and sort of, I used to go with a bloke by the name of George Henderson. He used to pick me up when I was about 12 years old and take me to the trots. And we used to go every week and I don't know whether you'd know uh, Arthur White and his wife, they were bookmakers back then and I used to knock around them in the committee room at the showgrounds. And, you know, there used to be seven, 8,000 people there and it just used to be a great night and I've been hooked ever since.
2: So what got you hooked into the breeding aspect of the game, though? I mean, generally speaking, people go out there, they might buy a small share in a horse, they get involved as punters, they get involved as patrons, as fans, but it's real deep diving to get into the breeding game. What, what headed you down that path? Well, first of
4: all, I, I, I bought a horse back in the 90s and I fell in love with it, but it didn't go any good. But um, its half-brother was all right, a horse called King Lear. And that's what started me. So then I went out and bought the mother La Noire Chevelle, and that's what that was back in the eighties.
2: And, and so, I mean, that is that's going back even further than uh, than than was indicated. So, all the way back there, and I'm sure you've had a little bit of success, but certainly this is a really nice horse here, and you've had Brayside Seal Star, who you stood as well. So this has been like a deep, long term. Uh, probably, is this a great passion of your life? Really, breeding. Oh, well, once you've had one, you can't help yourself. Like,
4: and, you know, to win races in Melbourne, we were lucky enough with Brayside Sealster to win a Maryborough Cup, the Gamma Light, and also the Melton Plate. Well, you know, it takes a fair horse to do that. And back then, that's what really hooked me up because I bought the the, fo- the foal, which was Brayside Sealster was a uh, orphan, and Sandy Yarnley had it, and I bought it off White Locks, which owned those um, real good horses um, that Purden had. Back, you know, ten years ago, and it just sucks you in, and then you can't get rid of them.
2: <laughs> oh well, I'm told. Well, I'm it's told worse when you, you have to I'm told when you don't uh, that you don't get rid of mothers. So we'll talk about the commercial aspect of breeding later in the week, as I mentioned. But apparently, um, once they're on your property, once they're bought on your property, um, they're pretty much there for life. Oh, I've got to bury him. Yeah. <laughs> Can you just... Is it just one of those situations... uh, We spoke about them being like your kids. Is it one of those situations you just can't bear to lose them? Oh, well, you don't want to part with them, sort of.
4: The funny thing about it, a couple of times I got offered big money, like for Brayside Seelster and that, and I knocked it back. And then I think, oh, you should take the money, but I just can't part with them. something wrong with me.
2: And you just never know, do you? Um, And we don't know how good Hurricane Hustler is yet, but that was a big win on Saturday night. I think somebody in your position, if you ever did get rid of one and it turned out to be the champion, I don't know if we'd get you back. You might be in bed for six weeks after that, uh, Gary. So that's the situation, yeah. isn't it? You don't know which one's going to be the real good one.
4: Yeah, but I'd probably be in the paddock with the other old brood mares, I
2: think. <laughs> <laughs> um, how good do you think this horse is now? I, he'd been racing well, and it turns out that that, that run where he just narrowly missed behind runaway celebrity was Frank on Saturday night because runaway celebrity got back to her best form, but that looked career best to me. He just he he feels like he was really in the zone.
4: Yeah, no, he's racing really well and Craig's done a real good job of him. Um he's been a bit troublesome from time to time, but um he's definitely got the ability. It just, you know, needs a bit of luck and I think he's starting to get switched on now, which is great.
2: Now, Steve Cleaver is going to join me again for Metrospective in a moment. He'd like to know a little bit more about Worry We Needy. I think uh, Jesse's girl has a Philly weanling by Worry We Needy, and he's joined at the moment. I hadn't. I don't. I don't know a lot about this sire, and I'd like to know two things: why you chose him for Hurricane Hustler, and two, what your philosophies are generally after being in the game for so long about who you do like to go to and how much time you put into the crosses and all the rest. Bloody
4: luck. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> we went up. I was wrapped in Caribbean Blast, and that's why we went up there to Yerobi because I always liked him as a racehorse, and I thought he'd throw a horse. But then when we got there, Caribbean Blaster was there, and they bought um, Warrawee out and he's about sixteen five, sixteen six, real big, chunky horse. And at the time, he'd broken the world record for the at um, in Canada, and. uh just fell in love with him, so we served two mares with him. That's an absolute That's monster for a, a standard, Brett,
2: isn't it? But it hasn't it hasn't sort of transferred. Just looking at, I don't think I've ever been up close in person with Hurricane Nastler, but he doesn't look sixteen mm-hmm. hands. But you've got a three year old there that it looks a little bit more like Warrior we need, I'm told.
4: Yeah, no, he, the other blokes. Uh, he's sixteen for three, I suppose. He's Jeez. a whopping horse. But we just left him in the paddock because he was just too big. And sort of, Craig's going to take him shortly, I hope, and then we'll start on him. But he was just, just a real lump of a horse. So, you know, I believe that you can't run them when they're that big so, you know, so young. So, so we just put him in the paddock for a
2: while. So you spoke about luck, Gary, but is that a little bit of intuition as well? Because um, I'm told that Worry We Needy and, in fact, Hurricane Hustler and even this big boy three-year-old, they've all got really placid... Beautiful personalities Is that Oh great temperament yeah. Is that almost Something yeah. you, you look for Like if you go yep. there And they've got a beautiful temperament You're like yeah well, I'll, I'll, I'll work with you Well
4: Jason It's just like
2: Having a bloke That you know And he's an aggro
4: And a bloke You know that's friendly Which one do you Team up with
2: <laughs> Oh well We all know a few aggro ones I can tell you that But uh, I mean Sometimes oh, it, Sometimes yeah. the aggro Can be great But particularly In your position With so many out there How many broodmares you got out there At the moment Uh, Well, there's 13 all up, but sort of half of them are retired.
4: We're just, you know, playing with them, sort of. But there's seven that are possibly that we can play with, but sort of I only breed every second year with them because I, I leave the foals on until they're nine months old because that way I believe they get, you know, more nutrition out of the mothers than what they do out of anything else.
2: Well, that's interesting from a man who's been uh, in it for so long. But uh, I was going to say, with so many horses out there, and none of us are getting any younger, Gary, you can't have the aggro ones there anyway, because you can't be dealing with one who's a nutball, can you? You want them all to have a pretty nice personality if possible.
4: Well, you tr- try your hardest. Uh, but you've you just got to play with them, you know, be with them. And their temperaments change, but, you know, the real aggro ones are all aggro. We've got one that's by Fly... Uh, fly like an eagle and he's a nutcase.
2: (laughs) But I've still got him with (laughs) he's four-year-old. It doesn't sound like anyone gets to move out. You're like the parent that's got kids who are 42 years of age and don't don't ever move out. It happens a bit more often these days than it used to. Hey, um, Gary, great chatting with you, mate. Uh, Wonderful story. Yeah?
4: um, Jason, just funny thing you said that because my son shifted out at 35.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think, I, I think you've got to blame yourself a little bit here, Gary. I think you're. I think you're setting a precedent. When they see it, when they see a 27 year old broodmare out in the paddock, they think to themselves, "Well, if it's not moving out, I'm not moving out." Yeah, well, you're probably right. Uh, it's one thirty-one, I think. <laughs> well, it's holding down. I think it's about thirty-one now. It just tells you you're a uh, you're a loving and caring bloke, mate. And I, I tell you, we wish you all the best of luck with Hurricane Hustle, but. More than that, on Breeders Week, just have a little bit of a chat about the breeding game, which has been such a a major part of your life, mate. So I appreciate your time and good luck. Good on you. Thanks for the call. There's Gary with us. Um, That's a great little story, isn't it, Uh, Steve, for the start of Breeders Week? A a man who's been totally sucked in and consumed by the game and worry we needy. A lower-profile sigh at Yerby that you know a little bit about. Yeah,
0: I don't know a huge amount about him, but uh, Jesse's girl, we've got a winling filly by Worry We Needy, mainly because Jesse's girl's got a brother who's by Worry We Needy called Uncle Shank up in Queensland, and he's a bit of a star. He's had 22 starts for 14 wins and uh, a best mile rate of 150.4. So we were sort of hoping to follow those lines and uh, see if we can get the same cross happening with uh, Almer.
2: Yeah, well, um, he, he, he is a big boy. We are actually talking about Uncle Shank with... um with Lynn Marie earlier on today, having a little bit of a chat before we got hold of uh, Gary. And, yeah, I think everyone's hoping there, where we need his turnout to be as good as Uncle Shank. We'll take a break, come back. We will talk a little bit more about that win by Hurricane Hustler in race three on Saturday night at Tabcourt Park, Melton, and an outstanding win by another very smart horse on the way up, and that's El Camino in race four.
1: Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on
2: 0499 736, 736. One summer, Dale Braithwaite. It's 1-0. Zoe, we didn't know she was even playing the music quiz, but she was. Before we get stuck back into Metrospective, how are you, Zoe Magogo? Is that is Is that on? Is this thing on? Swing around. Good. Be careful about that. He's got a bit of... He thinks I gave him the, the cult, but I haven't been contagious for since Definitely. sort of 1994.
3: I'm in this room full of COVID again.
2: I'm not. I'm I'm. I'm extremely... I'm sick in the head, but I'm, I'm extremely... I, I actually feel good. I feel big and strong. You look good. Yeah, I, I normally look good. Um... Just quickly, are you feeling good cuz you had a little bit of an existential crisis we spoke about on air last oh, that's week? That's
4: why you asked yeah. me. I totally forgot I even had that crisis.
2: That's that's see, that, that's what we so call a very short-term quit. existential yeah, yeah. Just... <laughs> up and down. Uh, up and down.
4: Strapping.
2: Your life is a roller coaster.
4: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Right. Well, good to see you. and we're going to get stuck into some trivia and and uh, maybe uh create a new night where you have trivia, table tennis and uh, karaoke in the same night.
3: Public karaoke. <laughs>
2: You know, I'd love public karaoke because yeah, the more, pe- the more people it. that can... Exactly. I've, got, Jason, I've right. got another song for us, by the way. Um, right. Steve Cleave joins us back. Metrospective. Uh, Hurricane Hustler was outstanding on Saturday night, I thought, Steve.
0: Yeah, he certainly was. Jody took him straight to the front and uh, never looked like he was going to get challenged from there. She kept him rolling and really pushed him out at the finish to end up winning by about 15 metres. So he was uh, back to his best, that's for sure.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, I I think I think better than his best really. It was um it was a really dominant performance. The only other one really out of the race that I took anything from was talent agent. I, I was keen on Treacherous Rock. I can't really line up his last start win. I reckon it was at Charlton and in fifty six eight over the middle to the performance that we got on Saturday night. But there was a scope. We haven't got the Stewards Report out yet. I feel like something must have been amiss, although he is a slightly eccentric customer. Could you take anything else from the race other than Hurricane Hustler's gone well, Talent Agent's going gone well, and a couple there that have been scoped we need to hear more about, and that's treacherous rock and a perfect dance?
0: Yeah, and that, that's about it for me too. But bon, I had Talad Agent. I thought it was one to Black Book off that run, it was uh, done a good job to make ground out wide from pretty much last and uh, get in for second, dig your heels in, had the perfect trip on the leader's back. Over the odds, actually went better uh, up in the death. Didn't want to hand up the death to Treacherous Rock when he came, so got up and working, stuck on quite well. And, yeah, a perfect dance was just can't work out what was going on there. It had a really good sit, 1-1, one, one, and it's dropped out and, and finished with treacherous rock
2: about 45 metres behind the rest of the field. I'm going to do some investigation on this, and I don't want to put you in a difficult position, Steve. But I wonder, there seem to be – and I understand there's there's um, greater integrity probably than ever before and and the focus on uh, horses that have underperformed to try and give a reason uh, for the for the punters that backed them – it feels like on a Saturday night, there's more horses than ever that are probably going well below their best and then requiring a scope or a swab to find out exactly what's going down. And I don't know the exact reason for it, whether we're racing them a little bit too often or um, or the, fragile, the more fragile nature of the breed or a combination of, of all of the above. Uh I I, I I don't expect you necessarily to, necessarily to agree with me if you don't, but are there a few more like that these days than ten years ago in your opinion?
0: Yeah, well, the the main reason for it, I think the integrity has been brought in that they must be scoped so they can try to find out if these horses have had a bleed. Um, Sometimes horses will bleed internally and not externally, so it can really answer a few questions. Um, It may show mucus buildup, um, which is there's a horse later on we want to talk about that has shown that. So it gives you a little bit more of an idea of what's going on. So the scope is very common now because as soon as they do really underperform like that and get beaten a long way, they automatically say they want to have a scope on that horse. So it's not just being plucked out and saying, oh, gee, that has to have a scope. It is a, a must that they must do it. So that's pretty much the main reason behind it.
2: Yeah. But there's just a few more I reckon getting beaten 40 and 50 metres. Race four um, was one of the highlights of the night for the two-year-olds. And Dan Maliki was super confident on the Friday form panel about El Camino. And i tell you what – he looks a really nice horse, though there was one that didn't win this race that will be my first black booker of the night, Steve.
0: Yeah, that no, was a really good race. He, uh, he drove in quite quietly. He's, he's won a couple sitting in the death up at Leighton and, and shown that he's quite tough, this horse. But um, Saturday night, he, he just sat back. The, Chris Alford was hanging back, hoping to get a bit of cover, but he didn't go around. He just sat on Chris's back, and I think he was more trying to educate the horse to see what he's got from behind and to teach him. And, gee, when he let him down, he just burst away. He looks like he's got a a really good future in front of him.
2: Yeah, the the margin was 9.5 metres, which is a fair margin, uh, you know, when you're talking about Saturday night racing. But it could have been even more, it felt like. It was just a super dominant win. And talk about breeding by American Ideal out of Morgan Abbey. I don't think Morgan Abbey's had a star yet. Exciter's one of hers, but uh, she was a really smart man. And normally when they've got the ability that Morgan Abbey had, you will get a good one at some point. Rock and roll gig I liked in the race. Had trial well. I thought its performance was very good, but I was particularly taken. And I realized she she'd been racing where um, where a couple of others here uh, were first up from a break. But cheers to Lou really caught my eye in the concluding stage of Steve.
0: Yeah, no, it got up the straight really well. It did have the good... Run three back the fence, but um, when they hit the line, like there wasn't much between the the crew behind them. There was, you know, nine and a half meters from the winner, and then the fifth horse was twelve point four. So they all sort of hit the line together. But I'd be watching Cheers to Lou going forward. I can understand your black book in that one.
2: And uh, Doug's planner first up from a break will improve, sweetheart. But I think Went. Very similarly to what we saw from the trial on Tuesday. And Vikings just, I know it was $51, but just a funny horse. Had won a trial at Sheppard and Beating, rock and roll gig, but can't get my head around Viking. I don't i don't know if I'd be sending the Viking out to lead my um my, my party to war.
0: No, that's it. And, and look, it was a quick last quarter, 27-2. So they were, you know, absolutely rocketing home. So those that did make ground just certainly got to follow in.
2: Right. Four races down, Metrospective. Day one of Breeders' Week as well. We're going to take a short break, little link up, and I'll come back. In the start of the second hour, I will uh, address that, that question from you on the text as well, and from across the Dutch. Stick with us here. Retrospective, Trot's Life, SEN Track.
1: Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499-736-736.
2: Monday retrospective here on SEN Track. Campbell Brown and Sam Highland with you after 1pm today for Trackside. Don't miss that. We will podcast all the interviews as well that, go that Bonners does on this program today. The second hour coming your way very soon. Just the two meetings for Brownie and Sammy to dig their heels into today. Kempsey's been abandoned, but we've got Queen as well as Wodonga. 0499 736 736 to join us throughout the afternoon. It'll be a fun afternoon, no doubt. Monday tracks are not far away. Make sure you tune in to that. But coming up next, second hour of Breeders' Week version of Trot's Life here on SE.
1: Listening to the Monday Metrospective with Jason Bonnington on S.E.M. Track.
2: Welcome to hour two of Metrospective Trot's Life. Every single Monday, eleven to one, but it's also the start of Breeders Week. Make sure. You uh, check out, if you weren't able to uh, listen to them live, even if you were, you can check out the podcast of Nick Hooper, the president of Harness Breeders Victoria, launching the week at the very start of today's show. And Gary Withers, what an amazing story that was with with his long-term association with breeding and a big win on Saturday night with Hurricane Hustler. And we will talk a little bit about Friday night racing towards the back end as well. But for now, Steve, let's talk about race five, weirdly... This doesn't happen to me that often, and I didn't follow it up, but I had a dream, this is is the problem when you're as invested and consumed as we are, I dreamt that Major Meister won this race. I didn't know how I dreamt it, but it happened, I didn't back him, he's ended up paying $12, um, but again, the night was really marked by relatively slick mile rates, 56.6, I mean, it isn't blazing, but it's still pretty good going, and... There was definitely another black booker for me here, and it is a mare that I remember on the Friday form panel was paying four dollars twenty a place. So I thought she was a great price, and very unlucky not to win. Uh, what did you make of the first leg of the Quaddy on Saturday night?
0: Yeah, no, we black booked that mare last week, and I backed up on her again this week. I was trying for her to win, but. Uh I was also crying after the race because I originally tipped Major Meister on top and then uh, sitting there next to Shannon Saturday night on Trots Vision and changed me tip. So I was very disappointed oh, about dear. that. You, oh, never, you should never change your tips. But, uh, yeah, Major Meister was really good. He found the front, handed up, and uh, just got up the inside like on – right on the line, really, to beat Mighty Flying Art. And as said, Enchanted Stride, the one that we're going to make sure stays in the black book, was just huge, three wide from the half without cover. I actually said when David pulled out and started jogging up, I said I like the fact that he's not getting a trail up tonight because she runs into, you know, a few dead ends and, you know, has to come wide, whereas Saturday night she got to sort of do it at her own terms and almost, you know, almost pulled it off. She looked like she could have been the winner at the top of the straight, but uh, it was a pretty tough effort, 28-4 down the back, 27-5 home, and, you know, she's gone down a short half head by a half head. So the top three runs were were really good, but she stays well and truly in the black book.
2: Interesting point you make there. It's something that maybe um, people who've never driven a horse in a race wouldn't, wouldn't know much about, and even for punters, I think there's just this natural inclination that you do want your sit sprinter to be three wide following a helmet card into the race. But the point you make is sometimes, uh, particularly if you've had no luck whatsoever and you've got all this conserved energy, it's better to just be able to do it on your own terms. And also, if you flush nothing out like Enchanted Stride, it's the old Gavin Lang, isn't it? The late great Gavin Lang. You don't charge forward. You creep forward and you do it under your own steam and join into the race. Correct. And the only
0: horse that was probably going to come out in front of David was a horse he was trialling, which was Kaki Nui, and, you know, that probably wouldn't have suited him because they've run over 27.5. He then would have had to have been peeling four, five wide around the, you know, just before they straighten. So this way he's been able to creep up just nice and gently. As you said, he didn't zoom up there and get going from the half mile flat out, he just crept his way around. And then on the corner, he just let
2: it rip. And yeah, she, she just went absolutely super. Uh, Major Meister. This is a a pretty terrific story as well. And this is another one, Tom Kilkelly, uh, breeder and also part owner. We might even get a hold of him later in the week, uh, but Major Meister really significant injury. The kind of injury I think um, that you didn't know whether you were going to get the real Major Meister again, third run back from a break. Um, beautiful drive from Kate Gath, led and trailed, and uh, he's back on deck. So he was one of the stories of the night. Tell me your thoughts on him and also Mighty Flying Yard. I got the little impression with Mighty Flying Art. he hasn't led in a while, and I feel like, again, a great drive from Kate Gath, because when Major Meister got to Mighty Flying Art, I feel like he lifted again and it was just a little bit too late.
0: Yeah, no, motor art went super. As you said, he's worked forward to get the front 44-3 lead time. And it, it did take a lot for Major Meister to get past it. It just kept digging in and digging in. And it was only the last probably, well, just as they hit the timing board that Major Meister was able to put the head in front. So it was sort of not sure that he was going to get up. He could have gone either way probably until the last sort of 15
2: or 20 metres. I'll tell you one horse down there. I, I know we, we've got to pick our poison with him and find exactly the right races. But another amazing story. If he's not one of everybody's favourites, then I'll I'll start again. 205 starts and loving a Chevy again worked home, I thought, terrifically well. And there's going to be – how many wins has he now had in his career? He's had 30. There's going to be a 31st at some point.
0: Absolutely. He loves going up and down the – the uh, rankings in the national rating system, and it's really sort of suiting him. And you have a look at a horse like uh, Knights Templar who's finished on basically nose-to-nose nose with him. And Knights Templar had the run up the fence and a you know, very easy run, and he's quite a nice horse as well and gets home quite strong. So he's had to follow Blitzen. Blitzen got a little bit tired after breaking early, doing the work to get around to the death seat, and then have to come wide. So you're right, he's uh, he's knocking on the door for a win, and it won't be too far away.
2: Now, Blitzen uh, is... A forgive run, probably, after breaking at the start. The two horses probably who disappointed me. Well, not disappointed me because I really don't think he's in the zone at all, Weston Sonjador. But clearly, punters were giving him another chance. He was into $7.50. He's just not racing with any confidence, in my opinion. And I'd like your opinion on Knights Templar because I had such high hopes for this horse. Uh, Three poles. Look, even if he doesn't win, I feel like the real Knights Templar finishes – in the photo virtually um his last couple have just been a little bit down on what i think he's capable of yeah it's it's sort of tough 27.5 last quarter off
0: a of 28.4 so when your last quarter's the quickest it's always hard to make that ground um kate has been able to make up a length and you'd think he probably should be at least a meter or two closer but um Still a question mark over him. I wouldn't get wrapped over the run, but I also wouldn't get too disappointed. Uh, Blitzen, this is why I'd change my tip. The money came really hard for Blitzen late. In the last five minutes, he just kept winding in and winding in. And I thought, wow, if the money's that strong, uh, he's going to be extremely hard to beat. And as I said, never, ever change your tips because that really hurt. Uh, Western Sonador, just a real query on that horse. As you said, he, he was a really nice horse. I mean, he ran third in the... Sheppard and Cup, you know, behind some of the best paces in the land. And he, he's just not even a shadow of that horse at the moment. So I'm not quite sure what's going on there or if they'll be able to sort him out.
2: As um, as Dan Mlecky alluded to or, or revealed, remembered, recalled, reminisced about on the Friday form panel, Weston Sonjador won the Minute Man free-for-all last year, which was the feature race on the program Saturday night. So it's um, – that confidence with the horses that Dan always talks about, it, it's a massive thing. I might hand this question over to you before we go to a break, Steve, uh, from Ants in New Zealand. Uh, Morning, here's a question regarding Breeders Week. What's your thoughts on size having limited books? You would think that they would want the best product uh, breed possible to help grow the game. Have you got any thoughts on that, Steve? yeah look it's a
0: it's a two-sided card um you know you speak to the authorities and ask them why they did it and and one of the answers was it's a it helps keep the breed i suppose open instead of getting a too close a breed like there's so many uh, you know, betters delights around now that you're trying to keep the breed open and not get a real line breed happening, which has happened in countries before. So that's one reason they're doing it. And also that they also said, you know, they're trying to help spread around, you know, especially with our local stallions to give them more of a chance because the good ones fill up so quick. So they're trying to spread the book. Um, look, I'm not really a rat for it if you miss out on the one that you really want because, you know, some of these stallions are filling up well before breeding time comes around, you know, I mean, it's, it's nothing for a stallion to have had its books full, you know, a month ago or two months ago. So if you're not booking ahead, it, it's really difficult sometimes to get into those good stallions. So it's a bit of a catch-22 and it depends on which side of the coin you, you sit on.
2: You just don't, I I'd, I'd probably just, the only thing I'd add is you just don't want it to become a real elitist game where... um with those people with the big money can uh, can go early, like you mentioned, Steve, and then they get the betters or the Captain Treacherous or whoever it might be at the time, whoever the the big gun stallion is at the time, and then everybody else has got to sort of fend for themselves with the, with what's remaining. But having said that also... I just think even the Warren We Needy story tells us that quite often you've got to get – look, I don't breed horses. I've never bred a horse, so it's probably not fair for me to say. But getting totally consumed with the idea that you can only get a good horse if you go to two or three stallions, I think is a a slightly short-sighted superficial notion, Steve. Well, so many
0: times you see a real superstar come out and you go, wow, that's just got some strange poor breeding and and it's not bred to be a superstar. But I suppose, look, when you're looking at bloodlines, naturally you want the best you can possibly get. But sometimes it's a matter of finding the bloodline that clicks with your mare. Yep. Um, we've had a few different bloodlines with Maximum Joy and And so far, the ones that have clicked, like Mirakuru, is the Western Hanover blood, but the Better's Delight blood didn't do anything. And yet, Better's Delight's one of the great stallions in the world. So I'm looking at stallions and I'm steering clear of Better's Delights because it hasn't clicked in the past. But I'm trying to find that Western Hanover bloodline in a stallion to keep that going because so far it has worked with her. So yeah, it it can just come down to finding what clicks with the mare, which then opens up which way you breed.
2: Excellent, excellent insight from you, Stephen. My favourite standard bread or pacer of all time, Malpark Major, was by Eric I don't know what else he did. Right here. Break time. Back soon. Matriarch Pace final we'll talk about, and also that minute man free-for-all won by an amazingly gifted horse named Honolulu Bay.
1: Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736 736.
2: I see one man from the land down under, Nick Kyrgios, Nick Kyrgios for those, I know you're listening to Breeders Week, and it's hard to concentrate on two things at one time, but Nick Kyrgios has just defeated the defending US Open champion and the world number one, Daniil Medvedev, in four sets. And uh, Todd Woodbridge said it's the best Grand Slam match he's ever seen Nick play. And I've got to tell you, I haven't been his greatest supporter. I feel like he's starting to switch on. Uh, Steve, he might be like a horse that's taken a while for the penny to drop. He's about a a six-year-old galding at the moment. But it's starting to drop, I think, because he's starting to play a lot more consistently. And who knows? His greatest achievement will be if I actually come to support him. And I feel like I'm starting to head that way.
0: Well, you said he feels like a six-year-old gelding. I think that would actually help him if he did get gelded <laughs> because I am
2: just—I
0: am so not a fan. I nah. look, the guy's got talent, but I just can't handle his disrespectfulness. It's just—you just don't treat other people that way, and you don't carry on like a pork chop. I mean, have some flair and everything else, but seriously, geld the guy and let him uh, let him mature.
2: I'm with I'm, I'm with you. He, he's uh, I was actually uh, supporting Djokovic when they met. Wimbledon to beat uh, Kyrgios, which seems very un-Australian, but he's, he's, he's got jerk qualities. But um, maybe he can turn around. Maybe, the ultimate gear change might be what's required. Racing so. was the Matriarch Pace Final. HBV Stallion Guide. Amarillo and Matriarch Pace Final. And by the way, just a little tweet coming out from the team at Harness Breeders Victoria uh, about you, Steve, discussing how there's plenty of value to be found when finding the best fight aside for your mare. And there is a Breed to Succeed series. If you go to the Harness Breeders Vic um, Twitter page or their socials at the moment and click that link, it teaches you about researching pedigrees and golden crosses and um, it's that kind of education sometimes that that can ensure that you, you, you do get a very good horse. And if even if it's not a time yet where you're ready to breed, get you excited about breeding, get, give you the idea of how maybe you can find some loopholes in the system. Right. Now, lead time in the Matriarch Pace Final was staggering. So uh, Mick Bellman, ding Dong's got around early with Doug's babe, and uh, he's had one thing on his mind, and that is we'll get around and I reckon we can find the top here. And probably to go along with that, Steve, was the idea of getting the Wolf, who was favorite in the race, back to three poles and put Geordie Leitem in a difficult position. But ultimately, that lead time put everybody that was at the top end in a difficult position.
0: Yeah, when they run times like that out in front and you go back through any race where they've run those quick lead times, it just makes it so hard for them to finish off. And and credit to Doug Spade. That's a massive run. I mean, I know it's got beaten 18 metres, but if you go back on the replay, have a look at it at about the 300 metre mark. Still there. It's, kicked, it's kicked a length and a half in front. Like, it was just massive. But uh, you just can't keep going after an early burn like that. But Runaway Celebrity just had the toe to sit back, Get the card into it, and when it peeled, it you know, it just swamped them like they'll stand and steal. Arda Shang Lee, that was a massive run. We she's been in the black book, and wow, you know, three wide went to go around them, did the right thing to go around and sit in the death, but the wolf got off the pegs at that stage and then parked him out three wide. So he was three wide for. Oh, a good 1,400 metres, So she, I should say. So that was just a sensational run. Uh, Better Robin, one we mentioned last week. I liked its run last week and said it should improve off that. We got really good odds. I think we got $4.70 or $5 a place on it. It stuck on really well, but just didn't have the toe to go with Runaway Celebrity. But Runaway Celebrity was certainly back to her best and and showed that real quick fitted of toe that we know she's got.
2: Yeah, I said the same thing on the Friday form panel about Ruby Wingate, who was about 4.60 a drum. Sometimes in these races, particularly these mares-only races, uh, where there's wide class disparities, um, you just got to throw mapping out the window when you're doing your form, at least, and look for the ones that are going the best. Art of Sheng Li is in indelible ink in my black book. Yep, couldn't agree with you more. Amazing, amazing performance. Again... And she's proving to be one of those uh, rare horses, Steve. So there's horses who um, uh, are great at showing good early tactical speed, then dropping anchor. They need to be at the top end. Some like to race tough. Some like to come from back in the field. Some need the pegs. Um, Art of Shing Lee's proving just give me the right co- kind of race and I'll do whatever is required because she's tough. She's got good gait speed when she draws the front line. Um, she's got a good turn of speed. She's developing into the kind of me. I'm not saying she's going to go all the way to an you know an extremely extremely high level, but I think she's going to win a pretty nice race somewhere along the line. The way she's going,
0: yeah, got no doubts about that. Uh, you know, she's still got plenty of races left in you know, her. She's only had 41 starts for 10 wins, so you know she's relatively you know under raced it's not like she's had 150 starts and you know just getting to the end of her career so she's still got plenty of future and i think they'll have a lot of fun with her she just seems to be getting i think she's getting stronger uh, as she gets older
2: now uh a couple of other things to mention here one is runaway celebrity um now i felt that like i don't think i was on my pat malone i thought she was going through the motions this preparation now that they have put the race on for her, but uh, I know that Emma and Clayton have been up in Sydney and around the and uh, coming back from Queensland. You just you just wonder whether a bit of um, a bit of tender loving care from the two champion trainers uh, might have helped a couple of horses who improved significantly from that camp across the course of um, the weekend. And this was one of them, Runaway Celebrity. Even though they put the race on for her, she looked back to the Runaway Celebrity we remember from last season. And the question for you, Steve, the, the one thing about these races, as much as we love to watch them because they're so exciting with that very fast lead time, I worry that it it makes it very hard to find future winners because horses like Outback Shadow got home really well, Nikki Nana, uh, but I wonder whether even for Ruby Wingate how often these races are going to be staged at the kind of tempo that they enjoy because they probably lack that, like, particularly a horse like um, – yeah, all, all the, the ones I've mentioned, particularly an Outback Shadow, seems to love a brutally run race because they lack that top-end turn of speed.
0: Yeah, it, it is very hard. I mean, I suppose every horse needs a race run right for it to win. Um, but I think Runaway Celebrity, we know, is a real class act. I think if you look at horses like Ruby Wingate, Better Robin, Art out at Backshadow, Nikki Nana, they all get back to their own grade and yeah. I'd be following them. Yeah. You know, like you can't not take that into account. True. I know it was put on, but they were still in the race, they were still trying to run those times with them. So all of those horses, like Better Robin, she's a you know high-class mare, so she's sort of got to do it a little bit tougher because she'll never drop back to a low class. But Nikki Nana, Outback Shadow, they find a nice race that's in their own grade, and I'd be
2: getting on them for sure. And follow-up reports uh, and swabs and scopes for Smooth Debate and the Wolf, and we just have to uh, await further information. But I think the fact that they finished Smooth Debate 50 metres from the winner and the Wolf 90 metres from the winner is probably just a further fortification and exemplification of what you said about Doug's babe and what a massive job she's done to finish only 18 metres away, because um, there might be something to come from those follow-up reports, but it's equally likely that both the second last and last horses were just totally cooked, toasted and basted by that early burn. Absolutely.
0: I think any vet report comes back on those two, it'll probably just have 42-8 in big folds <laughs> like letters written on it. <laughs>
2: um, we move on to the Minuteman free-for-all. This was the highlight of the night now. Uh, great drive from Mark Pitt. I, I've I've been a believer, and I've mentioned this a number of times, and I think Honolulu Bay, he, I have found his absolute best runs, including the Breeders' Crown four-year-old championship uh, last season when he's coming from behind. But I tell you what, uh, Mark Pitt was just saying, I've got the best horse in the race and I'm not going to allow anything to get in my way. Lead time here again, quick. 43 29, twenty-nine, twenty-seven, twenty-seven, 29-29, 27-27. And Honolulu Bay, He's running every race at the moment like it's a Victoria Cub. And I can tell you one thing. I don't think he'll be far away in that race. I think he's the one to beat.
0: I oh, absolutely. I think he's definitely the one to beat at the moment. Jack pulled the, uh, the stick out at the start with Torrid Saint and said, I'm going to put this bloke right in this race, which was a, a great idea. Um, he knew he was going to get cover. It was whoever was going to come first, whether it was Ardy or Honolulu or Bay. As soon as he got to the front and half, steadied him up. Off Mark went with Honolulu Bay, and then once he got to the death, he just let him jog to the front. He didn't have to really push him or or do too much after a quick lead time. Tango Tara got crossed. Probably didn't get out as quick as I thought it would uh, Saturday night, but got crossed by uh, Torrid Saint and uh, still held on to run third. Lock and Barat made the move around to the death, um, coming around to about the 1,200-metre mark. Uh, which is just when they started to put the, the speed into it. They went 29.9 the second quarter, and and then they sort of got really running from there. But uh, he was a, a big shade below his best. Um, I did touch base with the stable this morning, so I got a little bit of news on him. He pulled up really well considering, they said. Uh, the scope actually showed, and this is what I got to before, the scope showed a minor respiratory virus, so there was probably a little bit of gunk in his uh in his airways there that they could see with the scope so that's where the scope that they keep calling for does come in very handy um they're going to take bloods this morning they're not sure if they're going to nominate him they're probably out now the noms but they're thinking about nominating for saturday night and then see what the bloods come back as um or the other question is they may wait till sells back in the bike which i know that's what the owner prefers but They did say, if you remember back to Ballarat Cup week last week, he'd raced, and I actually went to this Saturday night, I I couldn't tip him because he raced fortnightly last prep and blew up really bad a couple of times. And then when they backed him up a week later, he went sensational. And the stable reminded me again of that this morning. They said, you know, if you go back to Ballarat last year, he was really ordinary. He blew for a while after being washed, whereas normally he would be fully recovered by that stage. And then they backed up a week later in uh, the next race at Melton and he absolutely brained them. So uh, watch this space with Artie. It's, uh, it's not all doom and gloom.
2: Great work from you to follow that up and uh, get some some word on Lock and Varart because he is a champion and public interest in him is always enormous as you'd expect. I think, I think we've all probably had the same opinion all the way through. We're only going to know where Artie is after about four runs. I think, you know, we've we've had one excellent performance in Defeat. Um, this one, there's an excuse, that mild respiratory infection, which um, I, I think I still have and probably a lot of other people do. I, it's not an equine one, but it's not, I'm not a standard breed. But, um, so if you can bounce back off that. But I don't even think after the next run I'll be declaring it one way or another. I want to see – I think we all want to see two more, I reckon, Steve. I think,
0: and this is a real hard part about the the racing and and how we are handicapped, and, and look, it's understandable, but Artie comes back from a real long layoff from an injury, so it's taken time. He's got no residual fitness from a previous prep left, whereas quite often you tip a horse out for three weeks or six weeks, they've still got a bit of residual fitness, and they don't take much to bring them back up. He's come back from extremely long break. Nothing gets you fit like race fitness. doesn't matter how many trials you have or how good they go in the trials. Trials and racing are just nowhere near each other. So you can't expect them to be unbelievable at the trials and do exactly the same as the races because the pressure is so different. You know, like you don't have someone out in front just running 27 quarters. You generally run a trial to suit your horse and he's got nowhere to hide. He's coming back and racing race fit horses, you know, like last week against Tango Taro, they just, uh, sorry, Taro Saint, Jack drove it perfectly because he knew the ad the parked and he just ran times that Artie just couldn't go with and he wasn't ever going to get that in a trial. So this horse has got to come back and find that race fitness and find that race form and it's really hard and, and, look, you probably wouldn't drive the horse this way, but because of the punting pressure, you can't drive that horse quietly for a few runs, but really... You'd like to just say, well, okay, I'm just going to bring him in. And the gallopers, I think, do it a lot. We sort of don't. But you could sit that horse three back the pegs for a race or two and just let him get those races under his belt and feel that pressure and then work him into the big races.
2: Yeah, this is this is the problem. We'll go to the news in a moment, come back and talk about some other runs out of the minute, man. But this is the problem, isn't it? Is that he should be – well, not should be, but he, he should be given an opportunity to be driven quietly. But then you've got these – and this is why education is so important. You've got the moronic – uh, niff-nuff-nuffy punters who come and say, wow, they were hooking him. Why was he back in the field? That's lock and var And you're like, well, learn a thing or two about racing and then come back to me and we'll have a beer. Right, we'll go to the news, come back, talk about some other runs out of the Minute Man, Torrid Saint, Tango Tara, Supreme Dominator, and there's even one that finished down the track I really like the run of, and it's given me more confidence about a horse he's been recently trialling. We'll talk about all that and more very soon. Welcome
1: back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 499 736 736
2: That's what all breeders are looking for, the Holy Grail. Something to um, something to hang the head on a champion. And you never know where they're going to come from. Tomorrow, by the way, a big, big day. Day two of Breeders Week. We've started the party Today, the arty party, but it goes to another level tomorrow. Greg Gangle, as mentioned, who's uh, running Wagga and can give us a, a North American outlook on the breeding game as well. Clayton Tonkin, the legend, joins us. Mark Barton from Nutrien and Karen Brecken from Across the Ditch as well. So it's going to be a jam-packed Breeders' Week, day two tomorrow. Now, just a couple of things uh, out of Race 7, the Minute Man, free for all that we haven't yet discussed. Um, Honolulu, Bay, we've already talked about him. He is... He's a benchmark at the moment. Torrid Saint was, again, really, really good, I thought. Steve Tango, Tara. I think the reason they didn't fly out of the gate is I reckon they were always happy to hand up to – I don't know this for sure, but I reckon they were always happy to hand up to Torrid Saint anyway. Um, and those horses are going about as well as each other. And – that. That's been all the way through the preparation, not just on Saturday night. They've just been going very, very similarly, even though Torrid St probably looks like he's going a little bit better. There's not much between them. Supreme Dominator I thought was good, hadn't had a run for a little while. And the one down the list that I um, that I liked, even though he was beaten 15 metres, Bulletproof Boy took off in that 27-6 quarter. And you know yourself, when you pull wide in a sub-28 third quarter and you're running, it's very, very difficult, particularly first up of a break in the elite grade, to maintain the rage, Steve.
0: Hundred percent, twenty-seven-six, and you're trying to cover extra ground, going four, and five, six wide around the corner. It's it's just mathematically impossible. And I actually said to Shannon when they pulled out, I said, "Have a look at these guys out wide. Better be the bomb and bulletproof boy." If you, if you go back and watch the replay and, and watch them in slow-mo around the corner, you could see them. They had their heads down and they were trying their absolute backsides yeah. off to, just to be able to run that speed. And the fact that they made ground doing it, it was excellent to see. And and then Supreme Dominator sort of got out underneath them. And, yeah, they were excellent runs. So it's, it's an exciting time going forward because there's some really nice horses going around. But Honolulu Bay, he is just an excitement
2: machine. He's different, gravy at the moment, isn't he? I mean, we've always known he had the ability, but right now, what he's doing, he's and he's, he's so glamorous. He looks the party, looks like a rock star, and now he's absolutely racing like like a rock star. He has all the way through. There was just that little period early doors where um, a couple of things went wrong in big races, and I think people got an opinion of Honolulu Bay that wasn't really right, wasn't it? it? Was, it was like, I think they thought he was a little bit of a a um a flat track bully but that's not the horse we're seeing now
0: no correct he had a few little issues uh early on and i think they sorted those out and uh ever since then he's just gone from strength to strength and he's just getting bigger and better and like emma said uh in an interview last week you know we know he's fast we know he's quick but now we're going to find out if he's tough and i mean you've got to think about it he's had 24 starts That's it. You know, he's racing the best horses that are out there at the moment in Victoria off 24 starts winning 17 of those, but he is still such a untapped potential horse. You know, it's, you look at better be the bomb and you know, those horses, you know, Torrid Saint, he he's rocked around 116 times, you know, so he's had five times as many races as him. So you just, the ceiling is nowhere near where he's at at the moment. I think he's still got a long way to improve.
2: I agree. And bulletproof boy, um, I haven't made him in Black Booker, but I thought his run was great. And I keep <coughs> – there's just something in the back of my mind. He, he was beaten a couple of times at the trial, trials by a horse called Huli Nian. And I don't know when Huli Nien's coming back. I don't think he's returned from uh, to the races yet. But I expect him to have a very, very good preparation. Huli Ian put it that way. Race 8 was the final leg of the quaddy. And, th- you know, there was much conjecture during the week about whether, whether uh, Petty Yonte, who's a um, – I reckon, uh, Philly, from memory, that you had a, a lot to do with early doors. Um, Steve, uh, she's – I mean, she looks the part, but I was wondering, as was Stan like as was Andy Gathlin burning questions, whether she was winning without really being anywhere near her best. But, uh, look, she was much, much closer to the to the real onto than I've seen at any stage of this preparation on Saturday night. She did lead, but she just did it so comfortably, 153-4 ran off the back, broke their hearts, ran off the gate. Uh, there were other good runs in the race, but, um, yeah, she's that was, that was more like the real Peteyonte for mine.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Amelia. As she's Amelia, affectionately known at the stable. Yep, she's uh, she did do a little bit of work here early on before her two-year-old started racing, and from day one that she was here, she could just run. It was just amazing. She just had natural athleticness and just wanted to get out and run, and and just didn't want to be sat up. And that sort of suits her that style. She just likes to free run. And I asked Mark because I noticed I I missed her previous win so I didn't know if she had it on, but she had a hood on Saturday night and Mark said it was on the start before. And the start before they said was a really good looking win. A few of her wins before that were pretty plain looking, but you know, as Dan says, an ugly wins better than a a pretty loss, but having that hood on just would switch her mindset on and, I, I tipped her on top because as soon as I saw that, I thought that's going to really suit this filly and she's going to get out there and that'll just keep her mind on the job and get running. And that's exactly what she did. So it was terrific to see her getting back to what looks to be her best, you know, leading up to some nice races going forward.
2: Plenty of other good runs in this race. Um, I've got a big opinion of Beach Memory. She was returning from a break. I've a couple of good trials up there in the Goulburn Valley and uh, I thought her run was excellent. I thought Venetian was very good. Our little jet couldn't have done any more than she did. If there was a slightly disappointing run, maybe it was heavenly sign. Aussie Joy was taken off the gate. Um, They finished third and second last, uh, respectively. Or second and third last, respectively. But Petty was in a a league of her own. But I think particularly, well, we know our, our little jet's a nice horse. But the second and third horses here, Beach Memories, and I think Venetian can both be followed with a fair bit of confidence in their right races, Steve.
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, the second horse beach memories was first up since March. So that was a terrific run, worked around, sat in the death at the bell and, uh, and we're really stuck on well, only getting beat 4.6 metres and same with Venetian, hit the line really strong from three pegs and certainly one watching forward.
2: Uh, we'll get through one more race before we go to our uh, our next break. Race nine was, well, oh wow. Well. Well done, Jackie Law. Well done. Uh, uh, did the job. Uh, best betted Aussie battler on burning questions. And I sort of said, are you sure? Do you not want to go with somebody else? But he's done this a couple of times now, Aussie battler. I mean, 1,720 metres, 158 one the mile rate. It was one of the slowest mile rates of the night in a $100,000 claimer over a mile. Talk us through it, Just Steve. Up.
0: Yeah, just unbelievable. Jack did this at Bendigo going back five starts ago and he got away with it again last on Saturday night. And and this is the sort of thing, when you've got a field full of probably sit sprint horses, you've got the gate speed, you've got the barrier one. He didn't even work to come out the gate. They went 7.1 and Jack said that's generally the lead time they run when they're restraining him, not going forward. So he, he got the front so cheaply and then 31 and 32.6. Like you just don't run 32.6 on a metropolitan meeting on a Saturday night at Melton. And then once they started to make their moves, twenty eight seven and twenty six eight made it mathematically impossible for anything to get down and, and beat him, especially the ones coming from last with Bernie Winkle and Selectic and... Yeah, it was just uh, it was a ten out of ten drive, and honestly, the others let him get away with it. And uh, fair play to Jack. I know he got fined for going too slow, but uh, I think he'd be happy to cop that.
2: He's uh, yeah, I wrote a full article about him in the uh, Herald on the other day. He's an exceptionally good driver. He just he just thinks through it. He just he's just clever. But but the big advantage here, when you when no one's frightened of you, that that's the key here, or was the key here, wasn't it, Steve? I mean, they're all looking around for each other. They're playing Ducks and Drakes. No one wants to apply the pressure first because they're worried about Seletic behind them or, or Sahara Soroka or Bernie Winkle. But ultimately, if nobody does anything, um, Jack, you'll do what he did home in 26-8 and you have done, some.
0: Absolutely. And, and that's a little bit of a small field thing too. When it's got a field of 12, then naturally you have a running line as well. So you've always got someone up in the death and you've probably – yeah, out the you know the toughest horse to then put the pressure on and whatnot but none of those are really willing to do that so as you say played in jack's hands and he played his cards perfectly
2: another pretty slow race coming up for race tim we'll come back and talk about that in a moment you are listening to retrospective here on trots life on SEN t- track and it's also day one of breeders week we've started off with um off the top of the show a launching interview with the president at Harness Breeders Victoria, Nick Hooper and also a great chat with Gary Withers who is the breeder and part owner of the third winner on Saturday night at Tabcorp Park, Melton Hurricane Hustler. Back in a moment we'll talk about Race 10, give you our black bookers and also have a quick squeeze back at some Group 1 racing on Friday night at Tabcorp Park, Melton.
4: Welcome
1: back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736 736
2: <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Welcome back to Trox Life Metrospective Edition every Monday from eleven to one. Steve Cleve joining me. We've been through nine races. We've got one more to get through, and once we do, uh, we'll give our black bookers and then have a, uh, a little look back one day earlier. Also at Vicarna Headquarters, where the trotters, um, the trotters went to war. In a couple of Group 1 races. Right, race 10. Uh, the Pundits didn't miss this one. Lombo Heaven, uh, second run on Victorian soil from memory. And uh, I spoke to Jimmy Herbert about it on the Love Bug on uh, Burning Questions. Steve and said, Are you going to go forward? Well, he did that and totally controlled proceedings. Now, they didn't go 158-1 here, but they might as well have really. 30.4 off the gate, 30 seconds, second quarter. And from there, if you're any further back than about third, it's game over, Moles.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Herbie, uh, bookend the the meeting driving the first winner and the last winner, so he's had a good night. But Lombo Heaven, he, like you say, he took the front, took control, controlled the speed and and just drove a perfect race. Balenciago got the sit leaders back, had absolutely every chance to get beaten, just under four meters. Mustang, I thought, went really well. It breezed through out and it's finished just four and a half metres off the winner. Monsieur Delacour, look I thought that was probably a shade disappointing, really didn't hit the line strong. Rock and Bugatti went good and guilty by the beat. Beach actually is probably one to watch. There, it was sort of held up a bit up the straight, but the winner was just far too good, and and Herbie just outdrove him in that. It was just a perfect drive.
2: Yeah, I, I, look, I was pretty confidently with Monsieur Delacour as well. Pretty hard, isn't it? I mean, it, I would have expected a little bit more, but they're home in fifty-five-eight. It's been beaten four point seven meters. When when you have these finishes, it's no different. Uh, the thoroughbred's exactly the same, Steve. When you've got five point three meters separating first to seventh. pretty hard to work out the race isn't it i mean they've all they've all nearly gone over the line together
0: they have but i suppose the only way i look at it in this way with uh say monsieur Delacour, didn't have to pull out and really get going until about 250 from home they got home in 28.3 which is a slower quarter than the third quarter so that sort of suits the swoopers to get home a bit better it wasn't out doing any work in the 27.5 so that's where I say it's a little bit disappointing. If they went 28-3 and then 27-5, then anything that made ground, you'd be saying, wow, just get on it next start. But that's where I was a little bit disappointed when they had the chance to make the ground.
2: Might go through, um, as because we're in Breeders Week, just very quickly before we go to our, um, our Black Bookers. The breeding of all the winners. Hugo Rocks by Pet Rock out of Hanover Chance, a Holmes Hanover mare. Cobber by a rock and roll dance out of Star Cross, an Art Major mare. Hurricane Hustle we mentioned by Warrawee Needy. Uh, Day be out of I'm su- Supernatural, uh, <laughs> a live-or-die man. Al Camino's by American Ideal out of Morgan Abbey, beautifully bred out of aces and sevens, or by aces and sevens. Uh, Major Meister, Art Major, out of Light Jägermeister, or Jägermeister, who was a pretty nice source. Uh, and that goes back to the in-the-pocket line. In-the-pocket was the sire of Christian Cullen and Courage Under Fire back in a golden era for him. Runaway Celebrity by a rock-and-roll dance out of Celebrity Ball. Another one of that incredible breed. It goes all the way back to Larrakia Lady for um, for Bruce and Craig Cameron and Peter Gleeson Honolulu Bay by Sun Beach somewhere out of National Gallery unbelievably well bred she was a superstar mare would have been even better if she hadn't had injury issues Yonte by Sun Beach somewhere out of Art de Triomphe so another beautifully bred commodity out of uh, or by Art major is Art de Triomphe Aussie Butler by Sunshine Beach out of Miss Laura Jane a talented mare by Armbow Operative and Lombo Heaven by Rock and Roll Heaven out of Pretentious Lombo by Better's Delight. Black Bookers for Saturday night first, Stephen, then we'll take a short break and come back with the Friday night Black Bookers.
0: Yeah, so I've only got the three from Saturday night. I've got Talent Agent in Race Three. I just thought the way it hit the line, it's going very good. Enchanted Stride, we've put her in there. She stays in there, and now she gets put in bold letters. Um, she's just, just excellent. And Saturday night and better Robin again this week. I mentioned her last week, but didn't put her in, but I think she's got to go in. I think she'll just get better and better with every run.
2: I've only got one new from Saturday night. So Enchanted Stride for me as well. I've got it in the bold red and same goes with that of Li, who lives in Indelible Blink, as I mentioned earlier, cheers to Lou was the one that I found. I reckon can definitely be winning a race really soon, but, uh, Probably agree with better Rob and rock and roll gig. Those horses, uh, beach memories. There's a lot. You really know that they're going to improve after having one or two runs back from a break these days. It's a different era of racing now than it once was. They benefit substantially. You heard that. Um, eloquently put by Steve Cleave a little bit earlier. Final break here. The Monday edition of Trot's Life retrospective Edition. When we come back, we'll have a look back at Friday night. Group one action, but plenty of great trotters going around and some black bookers from Steve Cleave.
1: Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499
2: 736 736. A little bit of uh, Vanessa Carlton. Um, who was doing this? Um, Terry Crews was lip-syncing it for... Uh... Anyway, It's weird. Right, Friday night, Black Book... movie White Cheeks. Yes. Um, couldn't have a... Anyway, uh, Steve... Black bookers from Friday night, please.
0: Yeah, Friday night. That was a huge night. I don't know if you saw it, but I tipped eight out of nine winners, so I had a massive Whoa. night Friday night. We kicked off well, and we got Bell to go home at $8. We got on early, so it was a great night. But, I, uh,
2: yeah, I, I, I had a, an incredibly good punting night myself. It was one of those – people often have this opinion, don't they, about the trotters, it's going to be harder. But, like, it just went beautifully to plan, didn't it? And I just love – I love Baltica, as I tweeted out. But who were the the ones that caught your eye?
0: Yeah, actually Gunning in the first race, I thought it got home super. It was first up for 12 months, and it's run out of its skin to run second to Baltica. So it goes in the black book. Uh, The next one in race three was Cognati for Jess Tubbs. It uh, sat on the locomotive's back but ran it to within a neck on the line, which was absolutely excellent. The locomotive is a sensational two-year-old trotter who's got a huge amount of ability. So very uh, special run by the second horse there. Then quickly down to, and I know it's probably hard, but Plymouth Chubb, you've got to put oh, him yes. in your black book. Yeah, 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 He's not yeah. going to be in the odds, but boy, did he sprint. He, he His run was huge. He running came. second. It really, he wrong, really caught your eye. Uh, Powder Keg, he went unbelievably well uh, in race eight and backed that in race nine. So there's my black bookers.
2: Well done, Stephen. Also well done to Yabby Dam Farms, who uh, bred four of the winners on Friday night. And a really interesting story, Amandine is by Village Mystic, who's only got very limited falls on the ground here from um, from Frozen Seaman, but he's a superstar over in Europe. So a bit more breeding information. Well done to Steve Cleve, well done to JD, well done to Jay Bond. Trackside coming up. Goodbye. Goodbye.